The reading this morning is taken from 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 10, and you can find that on page 1192. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all men, and especially of those who believe. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Steve, and I'm the youth pastor here at HT. And I wonder, by a show of hands, how many people have seen the epic 1980s movie, The Karate Kid? Yeah, good showing. That's, I'm impressed. Um, I don't get to make those kind of references in the youth group, so this is, this is water for my soul. Um, uh, quick synopsis for those who haven't seen it. Daniel LaRusso is the new kid at school. He falls hopelessly in love with one of the cheerleaders, and he is brutally beaten up by her ex-boyfriend, who, hap- we don't need that. <laughs> who happens to be awesome at karate, which is bad news for Daniel. And uh, long story short, Daniel decides he wants to fight back, and so he, he enlists the help of Mr. Miyagi, who uh, on the face of it is a janitor, but deep down we find out is in fact a master of karate. Handy. Um, And what we expect next is some kind of incredible training montage where Daniel is out doing karate. But in fact, what happens, Daniel finds himself around Mr. Miyagi's house doing basic household tasks, like painting the fence up and down, painting the house side to side, waxing the car, wax on, wax off. Some of you know what's coming. Um, And one day, Daniel breaks. And so he goes up to Mr. Miyagi and he says, Mr. Miyagi, I thought you were supposed to be training me to be a karate master. But instead, I find myself around your house doing all these jobs and I feel like your slave. And Mr. Miyagi looks at him in the eye and he says, show me paint the fence. So Daniel goes, okay. So he goes, paint the fence. And as he does, Mr. Miyagi throws in some kind of karate chop and paint the fence blocks it perfectly. Paint the fence again. Paint the house, paint the house. Wax on, wax off. And suddenly we realize that Daniel is in fact now a karate master. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, I have to apologize to anyone here who actually does karate. Um, I'm sure it's more complicated than that. Uh, But I use this story because sometimes we can come to God a bit like Daniel comes to Mr. Miyagi. Sometimes it can be like, God, I thought that this Christian life was supposed to be full of adventure, full of wondrous things. I thought we were supposed to go and change the world and do all this amazing stuff. But instead, I find myself doing all of these little things, 
I find myself just making time to come to church every week, going to a home group maybe, reading my Bible, praying. And sometimes it just feels like I'm your slave. What's going on? And it's in those moments, it's as if God would look us in the eye and remind us of the bigger picture. These activities and these things that we devote our time to, they might seem strange on the face of it. They might seem like hard work. But they're all part of something much, much bigger. Something which Paul talks about in this passage today when he says to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Because godliness has value for all things. This is the biggest picture you could be part of. It has value for all things, holding promise now and in the life to come. It's as if God could say to us, show me, read the Bible. And as we open our Bible and then suddenly an opportunity comes up to comfort someone. Suddenly an opportunity comes up where we can provide some kind of guidance. Maybe an opportunity comes up where we could help someone get to know Jesus for the first time. And we're prepared. We're ready. Because we've been studying the Bible. Train yourself to be godly. That's what we're going to unpack this morning in a few minutes. So before we go any further, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the bigger picture that all of this is a part of. And we ask this morning that you would help us to understand, you would encourage us, and you would set us on this path to train to be godly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so you might want to keep your Bibles open. We're going to focus on two verses in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And I'll read them again for us so that they're fresh in our heads. Paul writes, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Train yourself to be godly. Now, this word, train yourself, in the Greek is gymnazo. Paul is saying, get in the gym to be godly. Get in the gym. Now, I don't know how you feel about gyms. Some of us in this room, we have a kind of predisposition. We're like, we walk past a gym in the street and we're like, yes, I'm going in there. I'm going to build, I'm going to get some gains. I'm going to um, spin myself to oblivion. And um, I just love the gym. And you're probably really encouraged to read in the Bible, physical training is of some value. The rest of us are really encouraged to read in the Bible, physical training is only of some value. <laughs> it's a let off for us, isn't it? The point is, the point is we need motivation, don't we? We need motivation to go and get in the gym. And we definitely need motivation to go and get in the gym to be godly, whatever that means. And the reason Paul gives us it's very simple in verse 8. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So point one is that the motivation for our training is godliness. The motivation is godliness itself. Now this word godliness, we don't use it very much in everyday life, except for the phrase cleanliness is next to godliness which haunts those of us with messy bedrooms. Um, but the word here in Greek, eusebia, it means a life revolving around God. It was, a, it was used not just um, among Christians, but outside in, in kind of classical Greek to describe someone whose life was devoted 
to the gods, to the pantheon. Godliness is about a life that revolves around God. You could say it's a life of worship in the fullest sense of that word. A life that revolves around God. The things our lives revolve around are the things that shape us, are they not? The things our lives revolve around are the things that shape us. I was thinking about this uh, over the last couple of weeks. What does my life revolve around? And I can say, oh, I'm a Christian. I love God. That's what my life is all about. Um, but I can also spend, you know, an hour and a half of my day on this thing. I can also revolve my life around my phone sometimes. It makes a noise. I'm there to comfort it like some kind of baby. Um, it, it, things pop up on my screen, I'll just scroll through them, and it can be so easy to waste time. And in reality, sometimes it's like my life is revolving around it, and that is going to shape me. It's going to affect the way that I think, the way that I act, the way that I live. The things we revolve our lives around are the things that shape us. And the question to ask yourself is, what am I already in training for, as it were? What is my life revolving around, and how is that shaping me? And then what might it look like for my life to revolve more around God? And how would that shape me? What does godliness look like? When I think of godliness, I think of Enid. Enid was an older lady at my church growing up. And at one point, I was fundraising for a school trip. I put a notice out, and Enid saw her opportunity. And she said, Stephen, come round to my house for two hours, I will pay you 20 pounds an hour to do gardening for me, which when you're 16 is like gold. So I was there, and I even bought gardening gloves because it was special. And then, and what would happen was for the first hour, I would be in Enid's garden pulling up weeds and planting bulbs in a kind of very haphazard way. Um, and then after about an hour, Enid would beckon me in. And the second hour, which I would still get paid for, uh, involved me and Enid sitting on her sofa, drinking a cup of tea, eating some biscuits, and chatting. And she would ask me about my life, what's going on. She'd ask me about my faith, about my relationship with God. And we would pray together, and oh my gosh, her prayers were amazing. Her prayers were incredible. Enid didn't have that many family or friends that I knew about. But to be honest, her body was fading away. She couldn't get around on her own at all. She relied on other people picking her up and ferrying her from place to place. But she was godly. She was definitely godly. She prayed, not just when we were together, but when we were apart, she would pray for me. She would pray for a huge list of people that I saw once. She was godly, and it was that that completed her. She could have been far more healthy. She could have been far more active, but actually it was the godliness that completed her life. When we revolve our lives around God, our lives are shaped by him. And a life shaped by God is life as it was meant to be. It doesn't mean we avoid suffering, but it means we can find a help and a comfort and a hope within it. It doesn't mean we avoid failure, but it means we can find strength to keep going because he is the one whose strength never fails. Godliness has value for all things. In the present life, yes, but also in the life to come. The promise of the Bible and Jesus' promise, he says at one point, even if you give a cup of water to one of the least of these, there will be a reward for you in heaven. This holds, godliness is the only thing really that holds promise for the life to come, the only skill that you can take with you through the grave. 
The motivation for our training is godliness. And the Bible isn't shy of reminding us of this. And I would encourage you to have a lookout as you read this week. What, what are the things in here? What are the motivations? What is God telling me about godliness and the value of that? So let's say your heart is inspired by the vision and the benefits of revolving your life around God. Let's say you want to be defined by godliness, but let's be honest, I'm not sure any of us can sit here and say, oh yeah, that just comes so naturally to me. Godliness is so easy. I can just waltz in and fast all day. and pr- You know, it, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to live a godly life. To quote Rupert Charkham, um, our vicar, he says, some people say that living the Christian life is like trying to run up the down escalator. I say to them, wrong. <laughs> it's actually like trying to run up the down escalator with rollerblades on. <laughs> it's not easy to live in the way that the Bible teaches, to live in the way that Jesus tells us about. And it doesn't always feel natural to us. So what do we do? Well, point one was the motivation is godliness. Point two is that training is essential. And that by way of illustration, I mind YouTube for you again, and um, here is a short video. Gets worse. There's great sound as well, if we can get it. I don't know if we can. I'm gonna need a bar. That's great. I love it. High five. I knew you'd get it on that one. I'm going to go like it back to No. <laughs> Please don't try that at home. Parents, young people, children, they did it so you don't have to. Um, the, point, the point is that nobody is born knowing how to do a backflip on a bike. No, uh, tell me if I'm wrong. Nobody is born knowing how to do a backflip on a bike. It's not natural. It doesn't feel natural. The only way to do a backflip on a bike is to train, to try, to get up over and over. I don't know how he didn't break a bone, by the way. No idea. Maybe he did. Um, The only way is to train. The only way is to train. That is what training is all about. You start with something that feels unnatural, that you're not used to, and you practice and you train until it becomes almost like second nature. That's what training is about. One of the New Testament's primary kind of metaphors for what it means to follow Jesus is athletic. We read phrases like, run the race, run with perseverance, compete for the prize. I was, uh, yesterday I was at the Olympic Stadium watching some athletics in the blazing sun. And one of the events that was right in front of us was the pole vault. Um, and it, 
it's so weird. It's just such a weird event. No, it's, there's no evolutionary value to the pole vault, is there? Um, I can understand running and sprinting, but pole vaulting is bizarre to me. Uh, the only way to get good at pole vault has got to be practice, right? No, one's got, no one is born vaulting over anything. It's practice. This is the kind of metaphor that the New Testament is trying to get into our heads, which is why I repeat it several times. It takes training. It takes practice to be godly. It takes training like an athlete to live the kind of life. This uh, book, this church, we're not expecting ourselves to go from zero to godly in 2.5 seconds as soon as we trust in Jesus. Sometimes godliness seems unattainable to us from where we stand. But there is a training for godliness. There is a training, and we have the guarantee of the master trainer that his regime is going to work. There is a training for godliness. Now, don't get me wrong here. This isn't about what it means to be saved or anything like that. I love that we just sang two songs that proclaim so clearly that being a Christian is all about what Jesus has done for us. That's where it starts. Paul actually says that at the end of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. He says, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great, i.e., the secret of godliness, the foundation of it, the thing that is at the core of this life that revolves around God is he, that's Jesus, appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed in the world, was taken up in glory. The foundation for godliness is Jesus and nothing but Jesus. The promise However, or not however, but the promise is that when we say yes to Jesus, we will be shaped. We enter into this relationship with him where we train to be like him. Because being like him holds value for all things, is the most valuable thing in the world. As the HT mission statement says on that board outside, we come to Christ, step one, then we learn to love and actually, this learning is so important that we love to learn. We come to Christ and then we learn to love. And we love to learn. But point one is motivation is godliness. Point two is that training is essential. Now we come to it, before we finish, a couple of kind of training tips for us. Not that I claim to be a kind of personal trainer in these things. But training tips. Tip number one, avoid the shortcuts. Avoid the shortcuts. Uh, Again, at the athletics yesterday, there was this bizarre moment when everything was stopped and there was a medal ceremony from 2008. Ten years ago, the British 400-meter uh, relay team, I think it was, uh, got a bronze medal awarded because some other team cheated or they doped or something like that. A 10-year-old medal ceremony because the shortcuts don't work. Eh? Cheaters are found out. And that is true as well for training to be godly. And actually, that's what the first half of this passage is all about. If you read it through, you see Paul warning Timothy about false kinds of godliness. One of them, the one that he picks out, um, people forbidding others to get married and forbidding them to eat certain foods, thinking that is the secret, the mystery of godliness. Let's just abstain from everything and then we'll be godly. Paul says, no. We know that God, everything God created is good, and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. What he's trying to teach Timothy is look out for the shortcuts and avoid them. Don't fall into those traps 
that would tell you that there's a quick way to fix this. You want to live this life, there's a quick way to get there, and here's what it is. Here's my two-point, two-step guide or whatever. No, they're like fad diets. They might work in the short term, but they're not going to last. There is no shortcut to godliness. And Paul's exhortation to Timothy is avoid the shortcuts. I wonder what we think they are today. That's tip number one. Tip number two is to take a balanced approach. Uh, imagine that you had a friend. Well, hopefully you do. Imagine you're with one of your friends and you, ha- and you have one of the best evenings you've ever had. So you go out for dinner, you find this amazing new restaurant um, and you just have amazing food and then you go for a walk. It's sunset, it's beautiful. Um, you like talk about your deepest dreams and everything and it's really special and then you go home and play FIFA or something like that. <laughs> and it's just the best evening you've had. Um, and at the end, you're like, mate, you're just one of my best friends. I love you. I love hanging out with you tonight. Um, this is amazing. And then imagine the next night, you do exactly the same thing. You go to the same restaurant. You eat the same food. You have the same walk. You talk about the same dreams. And you play the same game of FIFA. Um, after a while, well, after three days, most of us would be like, this friendship is so boring. I am so bored of this friend. I'm so bored of this food. And, I, and all of my dreams, I'm just so bored, and I kind of felt like this relationship, this friendship was going to die. Um, but the problem wouldn't be the friendship, would it, or the food, or FIFA. The problem would be the fact that we're just doing the same thing over and over again and missing out on the variety that friendship is supposed to be about. Sometimes we do this with God, eh? Sometimes we do this with God. We hear a sermon and we think, oh, that, you know, a sermon about prayer, I'm just going to sit down, I'm going to pray every morning for 20 minutes, I'm going to use the same prayer, and after three days, I can't do this anymore, these words don't mean anything to me. Um, but sometimes it's like that friendship, where we just get stuck in one place, and we're missing out on the variety of stuff. You know, God invites us to so many ways of connecting with him, so many ways. Even in 1 Timothy, if you read through it, there are tons There's reading the word, there's prayer, there's caring for the poor. There's all these different parts, ways in which we can connect with God. I'm not advocating, oh, just stop praying. Just uh, when you get bored of it, give it up, move on to something else. Uh, that's, That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes we can get stuck in one area when we're missing the variety of all that God invites us to relate to him. All of the ways he invites us to train to be godly. Um. If you want more on this, I would recommend this book, uh, Celebration of Discipline. There's a new copy with a cooler cover out there. Um, But uh, Richard Foster writes about all kinds of spiritual disciplines, all kinds of ways that we can train to be godly. And uh, I'll read out the contents page for you. Spoiler alert. Uh, Spiritual disciplines, meditation, prayer, fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, celebration. That feels like quite a lot of variety to me. There's loads and loads of ways that we can connect with God, even in the 12 that he lists, and I'm sure that's not exhaustive. Tip two is take a balanced approach. And finally, tip three is learn from the pros. Learn from the pros. Or maybe more accurately, learn from those that you can look up to and think, oh, that person lives a godly life. I spoke about Enid earlier. Her, the way that she prayed for people and kept a list and prayed through it has inspired me. 
and it's something I've started trying to do. Another person who's inspired me is Diana Nairn, who used to work here. Some of you remember her. Um, she, there was something about her. There was a kind of godly joy and contentment that stuck out that I could not ignore. And one day at one of our staff Bible studies, uh, someone asked her, Diana, how did you get to this place of finding joy in kind of the everyday? How did you get to this place of contentment with God? And she said, well, uh, one of the things I do every evening is I sit down and I write down 10 reasons to be thankful for that day. And then I pray them to God. That is so simple. <laughs> but you can imagine, can't you, if you've done that for years and years, that's going to be a source of contentment and joy to you. So I started doing it. I, I've only really managed three or four a day, but hopefully I'll get to some percentage of that kind of godliness. Learn from the pros. We're going to finish there because actually what we're about to do is put some of this into practice. <laughs> The next thing that's going to happen after I finish is we're going to pray together. Someone's going to come up and lead us in prayer. That is part of training for godliness. Then after that, we're going to share communion together. It's one of the ways that Jesus tells us to remember him, to connect with him. It's part of our training for godliness. And then we're going to worship. We're going to put this into practice right here and now. And I would encourage you to ask God, what does it look like for me to put this into practice after the service finishes? How am I going to keep training to be godly? We'll finish with a promise. It's from 2 Corinthians. And it is the promise that this kind of training regime does work. Paul writes this. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil between them and God is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces, will reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory as we look to him. Let me pray for us as we close. Jesus, thank you so much for the incredible picture that you painted of the godly life. Thank you that you shape us every day, through all these little things that we do to make us more like you. Thank you for the value that godliness has today and forever. And Father, we ask today that you would move us on to the next step, that you would help us to be committed to this training for godliness. And Holy Spirit, that you would, you would strengthen us for it, that you would give us the perseverance that we need, that you would give us encouragement, and that you would be transforming us from glory to glory, day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's carry on with our prayers.